What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Open Guard Cast. Today, my guest is John Hansen. John trains at Axios Jiu-Jitsu. He represented Team USA at UW, UWW Grappling. He won the ADCC East Coast Trials. He's won the Nogi Worlds. He's won the Pans. And he's currently ranked 10th in the Flow Grappling Heavyweight Nogi Rankings. So, John, thanks very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to get into how you started in Jiu-Jitsu and Grappling? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well... I was really, really big in uh, MMA when I was in high school. It would be about 2005 uh, when I graduated. I was really big into pride. And uh, um, uh, all the guys that I really followed, you know, I was a huge Fedor fan. I don't know anybody who followed heavyweight MMA at the time. Oh, wasn't yeah. It. Fedor was an absolute monster. <laughs> but I, I, but I, uh, I was really big into uh, Nogueira, uh, Ricardo Arona. Um, Nogueira never did the ADCC, but he was just such a good grappler for MMA. But uh, at least I don't know that he did. Maybe he didn't. I, I didn't know about it, but I, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, but I don't think Ricardo he did. Arona was an absolute animal. Um, you brought up Jeff Monson. Uh, Jeff Monson was a hammer. I was a huge fan of all those guys, and I just thought grappling was so incredibly cool. I thought it was cool that you could be off your back and win a match. Um, I wrestled for several years. I won my first wet match ever. I won my last match ever. I wrestled all the time. Um, I won no matches in between. So <laughs> to think, like, be in a pinned position and then actually win was this uh, foreign concept that just, you know, it was totally cool. Um, and so, like, <clears throat> I went to, started going to college. It's like 6'4", 145 pounds. Um, but like, jiu-jitsu seemed to make sense, man. I, uh, I, I was, like, I'm still, like, the least athletic person I know. Um, but, you know, that, that was cool. It was really cool to see uh, – um, really cool to see that you could – you know, um, it, it seemed like something where you were, like, where you could outthink your opponent instead of just having to be faster or stronger. Um, you could be better, and being better would still, you know, yield a victory. So that was really cool. Um, so I started. Uh, I was really shy, so I never went to a school. Um, and back in back in back in that at that time, um, YouTube was fairly minimal in terms of the amount of content they had. But Marcelo Garcia had all of his matches from the ADCC on there, and he had. Uh, uh, he had this instructional for the X guard on there. So I started practicing that on a body pillow in my dorm room. And uh, the cool thing was is that back then there wasn't like uh, 10,000 videos on how to do the basic arm bar. You know, there was just like cool shit that was going to be happening at, you know, the next world championship. There was, you know, or like really cool things were going to happen at the next ADCC because of the cutting edge techniques that people were putting. It was almost like a, like a dick measuring contest seeing like, you know, who's got the, uh, you know, the next best thing, here's my counter to the X guard, blah, blah, blah. That was awesome, you know. Um, so I started watching that, got into it, uh, got really into watching the ADCC. I remember, you know, like loving the rivalry between like Pavel Popovich and Marcelo Garcia and really being into um, just following elite level grappling. I had no idea that there was like grappling at a local level in Omaha, Nebraska, and there was grappling, you know, that it was growing across the country other than like through MMA. So I thought I would uh, end up leaving college to pursue a career in MMA and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, even though I'd never trained in either of them, which <laughs> seems absolutely ridiculous um, and totally absurd. Um, but you know, that's what, you know, somebody who's in their early twenties thinks is a good idea. So I did that. Um, and I didn't, I like really shy, uh, didn't know how to go to a school. I mean, I'd seen the Karate Kid. I definitely didn't want to walk into Cobra Kai. <laughs> um, so I figured, you know what, the best thing to do is just to go to a grappling tournament and practicing my body pillow. Never really rolled against a person before. And uh, I'll probably get stomped. It'll be fine because then I can be like, hey, dude, like, would you like to train together? You know, that was my avenue for trying to figure out how to like make a friend and get into the sport. Um, and then I accidentally won the first tournament I did. It was a local one in Omaha. Uh, I beat like four guys. And uh, it was the first time I ever rolled a person. So that was kind of cool. Um, so I was like, well, now you can't be that guy. Now you can't be like, hey, I just you know, triangled you. Um, show me where you train so that like, I can get as good as you. That didn't seem to make any sense. So I did a couple more tournaments and kept uh, kept winning. And I was like, well, this is going to suck. Cause at some point, I'm going to actually have to train if, uh, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to like continue to be successful. So I ended up... Uh, going to a, an MMA gym, trying to uh, figure out, like, cool, I'll, I'll start learning jujitsu. And the first night I went in there, I started rolling. And uh, the gym owner asked me two days later if I would want to teach the grappling program. 
And so I, I still don't think up to this point that I've ever actually taken a, a grappling class that I haven't taught. So it's been wild. That's um, crazy. That, yeah. Super arrogant. So I don't mean for it to come off that way. No, it's just no. That, it's crazy that you learned grappling just from watching the ADCCs, watching Pride. I mean, I felt like grappling was a lot more prevalent in submissions. Where you were seeing a lot more submissions in Pride in the early days than you see in the UFC now. Totally. So there was definitely yeah, more of a grappling influence in MMA, I feel like, back then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was so neat that uh, you could be, I mean, you can't be a striker or a grappler or a wrestler now, you know, um, like you're just going to get starched by somebody who's like half as good at all three things and is still 1.5 times as good as you, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, but, you know, back then, you, I mean, you had like Hitman Randleman, who was just a grappler that knew how to hit yep. really hard, but didn't yep. know how to box, you know, <laughs> or really grapple. Um, but he knew how to like dump Fedor on his neck. You know, and, and so like that was really cool to see guys who were just pure grapplers. And uh, I mean, it was also uh, I go I basically hated the Gracies since day one. Um, and so to see like Sakuraba just run through the entire family was probably about like peak awesome when I was that age. Oh man, there wasn't much better than that. So <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, before we cool. started recording, we talked to you about how you came up under Rodrigo Vaghi. So at what mm -hmm. point did that relationship uh, start to blossom? So in 2008, I started uh, teaching jujitsu, um, and I my first instructor was uh, Louis Sucuri Tagno. He was uh, a black belt under Alliance um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I went down there in 2010. He gave me my purple belt in May, um, and you know, having if somebody said this to me now, I, I would I would I would probably laugh because I would think there was I would find find it ironic, but I totally now get that this is you know a douchey thing. The first thing I asked is, well, how do I get my brown belt? And my whole focus was I like I wanted my black belt because I wanted to fight black belts. You know, what I mean, I, uh, mm -hmm. I I wasn't I wasn't here to you know waste my time competing against guys that I didn't realize that oh you have to be good enough to actually compete at that level. You know, so <laughs> I asked, uh, in May of 2010, like how do I get my brown belt? He's like, why don't you just focus on you know being a good purple belt first. It's like, well, yeah, but like, how do I get it? He's like, well, John, you probably got it. You know, you'd have to spend your time in it. Like we had already had a conversation about how I thought like time and grade is bullshit. And that, uh, you know, if you've got the chops to compete at a higher level, you should. And if you don't, then you shouldn't. Uh, and he's like, but you know, to that end, you should probably just, and then he listed like a dozen tournaments. Like if you won all those, you'd probably be fine. I was like, Oh man, <laughs> right on. Cool. Not knowing that like, this is just his, like, I know like, what your parents say, you know, in those were in that regard. And that's exactly what he was doing. I had no idea as an idiot. And so I was like, Oh, I should just all those. And so I just went and did all those tournaments. And, uh, in November, um, I got hit by a car the day before Nogi worlds, which, you know, it sucked. I, uh, and then afterwards, um, I uh, ended up taking silver at Nogi Worlds that next day, which was kind of shitty. Um, but I ended up like, uh, that's when I first met, met made friends with Josh Barnett. Um, so that was cool. Um, I, I uh, broke uh, the one of his students' arms in the first round. Um, and he didn't seem to be too bothered by the fact that I did that to a student, which made, like, you know, terrified me. But uh, I'm, uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he was cool. And uh, he helped me coach me through the rest of the tournament. Uh, I lost in the finals uh, to Willie Leonard. Um, three to two and uh um and that was the key that was the capstone that i was supposed to uh like i was supposed to uh do that if i wanted to get my brown belt which can all sounds completely insane um <laughs> now looking back at it i would not tell a student that hey you know if you do all this in a year i'm just gonna give you a brown belt but that was, that was Luis assuming that i wouldn't but then i would train hard you know i think that was probably, probably what i was trying to do well anyway um word makes it down to him and he ends up giving my brown belt so i got my purple belt and uh in May, my brown belt in November. I better not tell the IBJJF that'll probably make me go back to purple belt. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, and then in December, I'm sorry, in February of the following year, I had switched gyms, but I was still under Luis and uh, up in Omaha. And in February, he uh, was driving to driving to his uh, to teach his morning class at school, and he got t-boned by a drunk driver and uh, he lost his life. Um, so that really sucked. He's a good dude. He was a really good man. Um, and the guy I was training with at at uh, the new gym I went to at Premier, he uh, was under Andre Govaghi. And the guy, like, was really cool and probably the, the highest level guy in Omaha at the time. And we were just uh, training. His name's Scott Morton. We were training together all the time. And so Scott had introduced me to Rodrigo. And Rodrigo said, you know, you should come on the team. And so I did. And I came on the team in June of 2011 um, and got my black belt in 
June of 2014. And so yeah, I've been under Rodrigo the whole time. Wow. Uh, so, that, yeah. That's crazy. Sorry for the loss of your instructor. That must have been yeah, absolutely devastating. Yeah, he was a really good dude. I hadn't known him that long, which was what sucked. But the thing is, like sometimes when you meet those those special people, like mm-hmm. you I just mean, know. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like the the amount of the the impact that he had on everybody, it was insane. I mean, he had like he had pictures in his academy of basically every student that, you know, had ever come through that door at some point. I mean, like, you know, pictures after training and pictures after tournaments and stuff like that. Just, I mean, oh yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't trained us in like a decade. I don't know. I, I haven't talked to him in like 12 years, but he had photos up of these guys. And I was like, man, like, that's cool. You know what I mean? That, you know, just because, you know, you no longer train. That's something that like I try to bring into my teaching. Like just because you no longer train with me, just because you no longer train anymore. That doesn't mean that like, that that's not, that that wasn't, that that wasn't a big part of our lives when you did, you know? So you're always, you know, you're, your memory is always alive in the gym. So I always thought that was cool like that. That's, and you see a lot of guys, that's not the way it is at all. So, um, that stuck out to me. Yeah, that's very cool. That makes me want to buy a camera and take pictures with all my training partners and coaches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you have social media now. I mean, people post photos. Yeah. I'm the worst at social media, but you know, <laughs> um, I, I hear it's cool. that's funny so you mentioned like when you first found grappling and you were watching pride you wanted to basically make it your career like right off the bat so how how difficult was it to like be so obsessed with jiu-jitsu but then realize that you had to have a career and make some money and pay your bills and jiu-jitsu probably at that time wasn't wasn't going to do that well i so i didn't i didn't actually cover that realization for several years (laughs) (laughs) so i I was a really poor and uh for a for a time homeless grappler that was uh like I figured, okay, so I remember doing the math in like 2010 and figuring out that, okay, cool. You know, I read some article, I think it was by BJJ EE, um, but it was some article that talked about how like elite level grapplers usually will t- train like, you know, 10 to 15 hours hard a week. And I was like, man, you know, that doesn't seem too bad. That's like two hours a day, every day. And I was like, well, and they've been doing this for like 15 years. So that's a lot of time. So the only way that I can make this up is if I do this, if I train like, um, super hard for like 30 to 40 hours a week. Um, and the only way you can do that obviously is like augmenting your ability to recover with things that we don't have to talk about. And so I was like, okay, cool. That makes total sense that, you know, all those things need to happen if I'm going to be able to, uh, compete at that level. And so, um, I just like did the mental calculus and said, okay, cool. By the time I'm like, you know, hopefully 25 or 30, I think 30 was like the number that I originally set. Um, I should have caught up to people by then. That's not like I was, you know, something special. I was just like, oh, I just have to, you know, um, I had to do that mental calculus. And so um, I just started training all the time and I quickly became, it was my partner, Scott and I were probably the two uh, best guys at Omaha by the end of 2011. And so I was teaching privates and training and that was about it until like uh, I got a really good opportunity at 2014. We bounced around to a bunch of different gyms. We ended up at a gym that was on the other end of a, uh, so the company that I currently work for that I have my career in, um, they're an executive protection firm. And so they have a training space, which is a beautiful mat space. Um, and so we just wanted to rent the mat space to teach jujitsu. Um, and then I got offered a part-time job with them and worked my way up in the company. And now my partner and I, uh, our guard force managers over, you know, all the physical security assets, um, in the company. So that's, it's, a, it's a blast. Um, and, uh, but before that, yeah, I just was training three or four times a day and, um, trying to make money, teaching privates, trying to make money, working at the bar on the weekends, trying to make money. I mean, just hustling to try to, you know, train like a professional athlete. And, um, yeah, that, that was awesome. And that was fun. And you can only do it in your twenties because, like it doesn't matter matter what you do or like how much protein you drink and like replace protein with whatever else you want when you're in your thirties, um, your body just doesn't work like that anymore. And so like, I couldn't do that now if I wanted to. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't to, to, to answer your question. I didn't figure that out. I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to train like four times as much as everybody else. And then eventually like I'll catch up. And so I just started doing that. Interesting. That's, that's cool. I mean, I feel like a lot of grapplers kind of start in a similar way where they just pretty much give up all their other responsibilities, train eight hours a day or whatever, five, six hours a day, and then just reach a level in a, in a shorter period of time that took other people longer to reach. Yeah. It was was like, I mean, I think about it now afterwards and it just sounds absolutely absurd. And I look at like, (laughs) I'm 35 now. And so I look at like the guy who was 22, 23, thinking this is a good idea. And I just want to like, 
smack him in the mouth. You know, like, man, <laughs> no, this is like, you know, I basically like just put off adulthood for like six or seven years and said, yeah, you know, like we'll just figure all that out later. And we figured all of it out. And there's obviously that pain amplifies over time um, when you have to figure it out later. Um, you know, that's like a, there's some really uncomfortable conversation you have to have with yourself. And anybody who asks me, um, cause I'm pretty open about that. I mean, like, well, John, you know, do you think that's something I should do? I absolutely do not think that's something you should do. I definitely don't think like past results indicate future performance. I definitely think that this is that's the wrong way. If you are ever going to do it, you know, train a couple times a day. Um, don't take days off. That's dumb. Take days off, but, uh, you know, um, work really hard and you'll probably make it anyway. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, I, I, I can't say that I really wish I would have done it differently because I don't know that it would have worked otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't, I, I didn't have a really anything that I had a passion about then other than training and reading. Um, and that was about it. So if I wasn't, you know, working on one, I was working on the other and, you know, uh, and it's good because one of those you can do when you're recovering from the other, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it worked out. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because I feel like now, obviously, the jiu-jitsu landscape has changed a lot. Like, there's a lot of no-gi professional tournaments. There's even gi professional oh, tournaments. Yeah. Way more avenues to, to make a living, even even with a school, just because so much more people are training. So what advice would you give to someone, let's say, they, like, like you mentioned, people have come to you and asked for advice. What would you specifically tell them to do if they're maybe, like, 18, they don't really have a career yet, but they want to make jiu-jitsu a big part of it? How would you advise them to go about that process? Well, considering that we're in a spot right now where uh, um, that we as a country are in a spot where everybody is hard up to find quality ha- talent, I would say be quality talent. Come work for me. That'd be great. Um, and uh, train every day. Develop a specialty skill set within jujitsu. And, you know, like I think what I tell guys now is that I have three buckets. I have wife time. I have work time and I have jujitsu time. And those are the only three things I do with my time. So if I'm doing anything other than the three, I shouldn't be doing that. Um, so I say wife time, I mean family time as well. But like those are my only three buckets. So I tell you, it makes it easy because, you know, my wife and I don't have a TV because I really don't want to be spending time doing that. So if we're not hanging out together um, or whatnot, I'm, I'm working. And if I'm not working, I'm training. And I, you know, I think so. I think compartmentalizing your life where you have very few things that you're focused on to probably like one, I mean, like at least for me, that's been the key to success. I've got an amazing boss and an amazing partner that understand if I need to take a little extra time to train or take a little extra time to recover. They're totally cool with it. They were cool with me going to Serbia this year to go and like traveling to Nogi World and then to Serbia and then to the trials, like where I was gone basically, you know, three weeks out of six straight when we have a very volatile, high octane uh, job. And uh, they're cool with it. So that, that's always a perk. But the big thing is, is you know, um, compartmentalize your life, have as few buckets as possible. If you don't have a girl, that's awesome. You only need two buckets. You need your work and you need training. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody like, I mean, I'm only 35, but I know that I've never said, man, I really wish I would have spent more time going out and drinking or man, I wish I would have spent more time going out and partying or trying to get laid or anything like that. Um, like I am glad that I spent as much time as I did on the mat. I think I has like most of my like best memories our memories that involve training or involve family time or involve my job. Um, and so obviously those are most of my memories right now, uh, but because of my buckets, but I can't think of anything else I'd want to do. So that's why I think a a big thing is, is just like having as few focuses as you focus as you need. And then, uh, like pouring as much water as you can into them, you know? Yeah. That's great. That's great advice. I I feel like that's amazing. I I feel like, um, just having those limited things that you're spending time on just, makes it so much easier. Like you don't have to think about what you're going to do. It's like, does it fit into these categories? No. Okay. Cut it out. It's makes yeah. things no, no, I, sh- I shouldn't say no time spent making decisions, but a lot less time. It's easier to just decide between three things than a million. <laughs> totally. I mean, the thing is for me, it wouldn't work if I didn't have like, if I didn't have the most amazing wife on the planet and everybody who meets her, she also trains. She was also on team USA. She also did the ADCC trials and did Nogi worlds, took silver Nogi worlds as a purple belt this year. I was pretty excited for, um, uh, but, um, if I didn't have the most amazing wife on the planet, I wouldn't be able to do it because she, uh, you know, she preps my meals. She like takes care of the home on top of that, on top of having a, a full-time career and being a, uh, um, a high school women's wrestling coach. So like she's, 
just got so many irons in the fire and yet let it she like takes care of all my crap so that I can focus on just training and work and her. And if you don't have a partner like that in life, it's hard because then everything else piles up too. And before I was married and before I was in that, I had, I, I everything piled up. Um, so I know that that's hard. Yeah. So having like the, the proper spouse or the proper person that you're working with, you know, like that, that's on your team, whether they're your girlfriend or your spouse, you know, like that's a, that, I think that's really important. You know, um, yeah, everybody has to have a support, support system. And like sometimes, um, you know, you're each other's support system. So, um, like I, I try to help out my wife whenever I can, and she helps out me whenever she can. The thing is that my, uh, my job is crazy and my, uh, um, my training schedule is pretty, pretty nuts. And so she has more opportunity to help me out than I do her, which is why, like I say that she's a big, way better spouse to me than I am to her. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like having that is an absolute necessity. Otherwise you got to spend time doing all that other stuff too. And I feel like that's a bucket in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that was the bucket I ignored when I was like in my twenties and, uh, it's like, oh yeah, cool. Like all the other things, like uh, making sure your car's registered and then not registering your car for half a decade, right? That's a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but like that was that. Oh man, just the yeah the the sheer amount of things that I look back at now. I'm like, oh man, that's a liability, and that's a liability, and that's a liability. You have to fill that bucket too. And it was it's been awesome that I have a wife to help me fill that bucket. But if it if it wasn't, I'd have to like have that as one of my buckets because otherwise, uh, I wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And, and I kind of wanted to dive a little bit deeper into one of the other points sure. that you made. Um, you said that you would recommend people developing a specialized skill set in grappling. So can you talk about that and how you've used that to win some of the tournaments that you've won? Well, yeah, sure. So like, um, you know, right, right now, uh, playing legs is huge. It's been huge for like the last five years. You know, I, I mean, it's been huge since Dean Lister, let's be real. But like, um, like DDS and 10th Planet really kind of revolutionized how people are playing legs and how like the submission only tournament rule set, like how those matches evolved, uh, where it wasn't just smash the guy, pass the guy, force the submission from the top position. You know, uh, half the time it looks like two coiled snakes trying to figure out like, you know, who's going where looking for the right angle on the right pummel with the right leverage, you know? Um, and I'm not saying that doesn't, that doesn't continue, but I think when there's any new, innovation in the rule set the guys who are on the cutting edge of that they're the ones that are going to continue to reap the benefits of it long after everybody else plays catch up so an example would be like the mendez brothers uh playing with the perimbolo you know like was i mean that was a huge innovation you know what i mean that was amazing um and then everybody built their game or i well, I shouldn't say everybody a lot of people built their game around the perimbolo or like okay cool now i'm just going to you know be this crazy perimbolo that grabs backs and sweeps and that's what i'm going to do awesome except for like you know, you're just you're just being the guy that's uh that's being fed. You're not the guy who knows how to fish, right? Um, and so at some point everybody's gonna figure out how to stop that. Once that happens, the guys who are on the cutting edge and who are innovating and making, you know, uh, making hay while the sun shine in the first place, they're the ones that are gonna continue to have se- success with that with that technique. Everybody else is like, now you're fishing the water. You know, you're dead in the water because or fish out of water. I should have said um, because now you know guys are like it's really easy to bribble when guys don't know how to smash it. And then once guys don't know how to smash it, the only guys who are elite are the ones who could still do it. I don't think we're there yet with the leg game, but it's a whole lot easier to learn how to defend leg attacks than it is to actually be an elite level guy at attacking the legs. You know, and that's anything, right? It's way easier to learn how to defend a takedown and to circle and bat and step out than it is to learn how to take down a guy, right? Yeah. It's very hard. Um, doesn't matter how athletic you are. There's just so much more that comes into successfully um, you know, to, to achieving something like a score, like a, a guard pass, right? Then it is to actually just depend on how to like frame and turn and not let the guy pass your guard. And so I think one of the things that I try to caution my students away from is, hey, learn everything. That's great. But just because something, if something's on the cutting edge right now and guys are killing with it, don't pour all your water into that bucket because by the time you get good enough to be able to use that, like you'll catch, like if you're a mid-level guy, you'll catch a lot of mid-level guys really quick at that. You know what I mean? Um, but by the time you're to the point where you can catch elite level guys that and maybe you're, you've jumped up in competition fairly quickly, the elite level guys have already figured out how to stop that. And if like, that's how oblong your game is, you know, um, it's not well-rounded. Um, and I, I, and you don't have anything else. Well, if you can't 
smoke this guy, you know, with your outside Ashi. What are you gonna do? You can't smoke this guy with your K-Guard. What are you gonna do? Lachlan's got a thousand ways to finish you. You know what I mean? He's just got a great, you know, K-Guard. He's got some an insane inside heel hook. You know what I mean? But if he can't do that, he'll beat you a thousand other ways. You know, um, Gordon, Greg, they've all got a thousand different ways to beat you, but they'll beat you with the thing they're good with because that's the fastest way for them to win. Um, but if you don't have your thing because everybody's figured that out and you're just coming into that level of competition, like a higher level or like the level, um, and everybody else has already been there, has already been figuring that out, man, you're going to be dead in the water for quite a while. So I always tell guys, figure something out on your own, like, um, or just work to continue to mature your game on every level. Like, I don't like the guys who are like, oh, yeah, I'm a half guard player. Oh, cool. Until you find somebody who can smash half guard. You better find something <laughs> else. And that really sucks, you know, or like I play on top. Okay, cool. Until like this guy can sweep you or you can't get up. Well, now you're in a bad spot. So I think having like, you know, I try to, I don't like the idea that, um, like I come to jujitsu to learn from you. You teach me the things I need to know. I don't, I, I've never taught like that. I, uh, I try to teach in concepts, uh, instead of like, um, in specifics, primarily because I don't want people to, to get, accustomed to me spoon feeding them i want them to be developing their technique techniques on their own and the learning curve is significantly slower like um it's really probably painful as a white belt if you have no like wrestling or athletic background um train with us because you know um you, you, i i i think well two of my students uh christy and charles they have just started teaching a beginner's class so that we can like get, get people's feet wet and then not just entering into a class for the, for the first half hour of a night, we just try to pass each other's guard. And the guy who's got the guard can't attack. He can just defend with movement, right? Um, that's really overwhelming because you're just, if you don't know what you're doing, oh, okay, cool, I'm sitting down for these three minutes, I'm just getting smashed over and over again. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, the learning curve is really slow in the beginning. But, um, you know, it picks up when all of a sudden you start learning how to, you know, how to feed yourself, learning how to fish versus just expecting somebody else to fish, you know, for you. And now all of a sudden you're developing techniques as a blue belt or you know, as a purple belt where, you know, most all the other people that, uh, um, that I know are still having people teach, teach them techniques and teach them series of techniques and chains of techniques that they're learning from somebody else until they're like a brown belt, a black belt. And then all of a sudden they start trying to figure out how to innovate, but that's not the part of their, that's not their muscle they've grown the whole time. That's not the, you know, they haven't like developed that, like the ability to figure things out on their own. I don't want that. Um, the reason I say that is because I think that that's probably one of the only things I, um, that I'd say I had going for me, like, is that, you know, I said I was teaching from the first place I went to, uh, when Scott and I started training together, we were training together. Um, he was showing me a lot of the things that I had, you know, missed out on because I hadn't been, a, um, I hadn't been taking classes. Um, I hadn't, you know, had that traditional instruction. I was showing him that, yeah, you know, I've been like, I mean, the first the first guard I learned wasn't the closed guard. It was the X guard. Cause that was the DVD that Marcelo had on YouTube. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I could sweep you 10 ways from X guard. I had no idea how to do like a, uh, like a flower sweep from closed guard, you know? And like, I had to learn that as a brown belt, which sounds ridiculous, except for the fact that, that that's just how it happened, you know? And, uh, so, but like, you know, learning how to learn on your own, boy, that's like, that's a tidal wave of information. You don't have to have drilled a move. 500 times to be able to perform it if you've like just kind of come to that cognitively but if you're just having somebody teach you something and that's like how you're building that like you know that synaptic response then yeah you got to drill that move hundreds of times so i think on the, at the lower level you know there's like a rapid growth with that but then i think it, it uh, plateaus out pretty quick and then i think there's like this uh um like heuristics change and then all of a sudden you're in a spot where well now growth's really hard because you got to figure things out on your own or you've been trying to figure that out if you've been doing that the whole time, I think by the time you get to, uh, you know, at the point where it matters, you know, you're already hitting the ground running and you got guys that are innovating at a really high level. A lot of my students, you know, are innovating at a high level at purple belt and brown belt and black belt and thinking, thinking, you know, figuring really cool things out that I'm learning from like, oh, that's sweet. You know what I mean? Um, so I guess that's, uh, I try to tell people like, yeah, figure something out, start trying to figure things out early. Um, and you know, don't sweat the small stuff if you're, you know, not successful right now. Like, I always tell guys that I didn't come here to make good blue belts. I came here to make black belt world champions. And we have quite a few of those at our gym for having such a small population. And uh, that's, like, the goal we've all got. We're a competitive, focused gym. Um, 
we got really f fortunate that about 10 years ago, oh, I should say probably about five years ago, most of the gyms in Omaha tried to push out, like started pushing out competitors um, to like make way for like family jujitsu, which is good because, you know, you want more people involved in the sport. That's how you're going to get more people involved in the sport. Um, but if it hadn't happened all at once, I don't know if there would have been a niche for us. Um, however, there was, and all of a sudden you have people from, you know, all the gyms that have significantly large, larger populations than ours, you know, are like, oh yeah, you know, they really don't want competitors here or here or here or here anymore. Um, so they all came and started coming and training with us. And so all of a sudden there was like a concentration of talent and, you know, a like-mindedness that was, you know, all able to be at one place and ended up working out really well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess, uh, so, um, I, I tell, tell try to start figuring something out on your own and the technique that you see on the internet like dude gordon has got amazing dvds like those dvds are absolutely insane and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't you know watch those but you should be tuning everything you can to try to figure it out on your own before you have to have somebody else come feed you you know you want to be able to like you want to build that awareness it's like the what is it the thomas edison and the, or, uh, and the light bulb you know you want to find a thousand ways to not make the light bulb figure it before you figure out how to make it work Somebody just gives you a light bulb. You're not going to have any idea of the process that it takes to make a light bulb. You know what I mean? So I think that's important. I think it's important to to fail in that regard often. And if it means failing at a high level, like you're a blue belt and you're trying to win a world championship and you don't, well, you didn't come here to be a blue belt world champion. And when you're a black belt, you're not going to give a shit about the fact that you won a blue. You know, you're going to give a shit about winning a black belt. And so we're trying to, you know, prep for the long game. And I think that's how you do it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that's difficult to implement in practice because, like you said, you're kind of sacrificing some short-term gains for long-term growth. And totally. it can be it can be challenging to be like, okay, you're not going to be as successful now, but our goal is for you to win the Black Belt World title. And it is cool because you see a lot of grapplers do that nowadays. Like maybe they weren't the lower belt who won every single tournament, but now at Black Belt, they're starting to have a lot of success. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, the things that's interesting about jiu-jitsu is that you know, like wrestling isn't evolving anymore. I mean, there's a little funk that's going on here and there, but the rest of the, the rule set is confined enough that the amount of variables that are within it, um, you know, uh, the rule set is confined enough that there are, the amount of variables they have within it, um, you know, have been played out and people have figured out what works and what doesn't and the strategies to success. And there are many, you know, the rule set for grappling in general, I say jujitsu, but then grappling at large, um, is significantly more broad. You know, same thing with judo. The rules of judo is even more fine than wrestling. And so because of that, like, the strategies to success, uh, like the paths to success are very few. Um, the paths to success in grappling are so, so broad. There's so many because the, uh, you know, just how many variables there are in the sport and how wide those parameters are for the rule set, right? And so, I mean, that's why you see, like, the IBJJF rule book is that thick, Right. <laughs> And because of that, you have guys who have learned to play the very specific rules within the rule set. The ADCC rule set is a sheet of paper. You know what I mean? Like, so you see tons of different levels of, you know, guys who can be successful um, in the ADCC that might not be successful, you know, um, in the IBJJF because the guy is, you know, playing this grip, playing this hook, you know. Um, he's found a very small niche to where he can be successful in. And so I think that's really interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why you can also, um, the wider that rule set is, you can see guys developing tons of different strategies to be able to uh, have that success, you know? Definitely. So I, I did want to dive into that too, about the ADCC and, and your success sure. in that rule set, because you recently won the East Coast Trials. You had a really awesome submission in the final that was, I think it was the oh. fastest submission of all the final matches. And there were some... Really, yeah. really, really good final matches, but yours really stood out. And I think you got second at an, at the twenty nineteen trial or twenty eighteen trials. Is that right? Yeah, twenty nineteen trials. Like I was a, I got, I was a meme. I got cartwheeled by Nicky Rod. So, <laughs> that, that <laughs> I was, mean, uh, no shame in that. He would cartwheel <laughs> most people he competes against. But do you want to talk about why you think you've you've done so well under that rule set? Oh uh, yeah, I think that. Uh, it, so it, it plays really well. I think you and I were talking about this before uh, we started. It plays well with my style in the sense that, like, you know. I, I wrestled longer than almost anybody that I know um, when I was a kid growing up and I still suck at wrestling and that's just the way of it. And it's not like, uh, I'm not, I'm not like letting anybody in on, uh, on the secret. Uh, everybody who's watched me grapple knows that I suck at wrestling and that's fine. Um, uh, but so because of that, like, I guess I'm going to play the bottom position. I'm going to play guard and uh, sweep to the top. However, um, the ADC is all about action. It's, you know, I remember in my semis match, 
I was 15 seconds into the match and I heard action blue my, against my opponent. You know, you can't just circle. You've got to attack. I'm like, yeah. dude, we're 15 seconds in. There's already, a, a, you know, a, a warning. There's two warnings and then it's stalling, 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 you know, yeah. one point, one point, one point. Like if this match goes, I mean, this guy was a, uh, you know, D1 All-American. He was a beach wrestling, uh, like, I think he was world champion, world medalist. guy's a hammer. I was like, cool, if this match goes the, uh, the whole time, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, gain at least negatives off this if this guy keeps playing this way so that'll be fine you know um and that's because like that that rule sets all action oriented and so it's like if the guy has to play you on the bottom and uh and i can't get the get it done to come up to sweep to submit to start scoring from the top uh, if i can't get it done the time period he has to play me the whole time man i saw me i didn't deserve to win that match but it's completely different when you know you got a guy who will shuffle around you for five or six out of minutes out of a 10 minute match Dude, like, that's a hard match to win uh, if you're on the bottom. And, you know, depending on the rule set, uh, like the average they're going to let you do that. Um, and so that's, that kind of sucks. Um, but, you know, that's not the way it is in the ADCC. And, I mean, that's one of the things I'd say that refs are really good at is calling for that action. I mean, fuck, they minus one bullshit you in the finals, the absolute. You know what I mean? Like, and in, in IBJJF, when is the last time they have, you know, put it up? put up a stalling call, let alone, like, let it go all the way to the point where it's going to affect the match. Like, yeah. given a warning versus an actual, like, uh, penalty against a guy who's a household name. I mean, that rarely happens. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to, uh, uh, um, I'm not trying to complain about anything or anything. Yeah, like it's that. just, just, just how it is. <laughs> you don't see that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, and that just, so we're clear, that's what you know going in. So if you know that going in, you better figure out how to, how to, freaking win you know what i mean so that's just what you know um but the adcc like the way they press that action that means the guy has to engage you on the bottom and if he has to engage you the whole time and you can't come up dude that's on you that sucks you know it's a lot it's a lot hard it's harder to it's harder to come up on a guy who will walk around you and not even engage you but if he's engaging the whole time and trying to pass and trying to score and you still can't get it done that's on you it's on me you know and so i have a i have a guard that is uh, at least okay and so, you know, in a rule set where they have to play it, um, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, even a broken clock is right sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't up? think you're giving yourself enough credit with your guard. Your guard's are really good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. But, but one of the things we talked about, too, before we started recording is uh, the influence of the UWW uh, grappling tournament that had on your preparation for ADCC. So can you talk about oh. how that opportunity even came up to, to compete under that rule set and then how that helped your ADCC style um, performances. Yeah, sure. So in 2019, um, one of my good friends uh, had said to me, you know, said, they said, John, you, you need to do the UWW before, uh, like before, um, you know, you quit, you quit, quit, quit grappling. Like, okay. And at the time um, I am focused solely on getting an invite slot to the ADCC. I took silver at the trials and I'm hoping, like, you know, maybe somebody will get injured, maybe somebody will quit, maybe somebody will have, you know, maybe somebody will get, like, you know, will have, like, you know, be accused of a double homicide, hope they didn't actually do it, but, you know, maybe they can't go because they can't get out of the country, whatever it is, like, maybe they'll need somebody, that'd be great. Um, so I'm going to try to do everything I can, stay active. Um, and, but they were having the, uh, the Team USA trials at the Olympic Training Center. I was like, oh, cool. I always wanted to go to Colorado Springs. That's a drive. That'd be neat. Uh, if nothing else. And, uh, you know, like the rule set's cool. I like the rule set. I spent like, spent a day trying to game it and realized that, man, you know what? Like this is way harder to game. Um, and the reason is because, I mean, it's like developed by the, I think there's a couple things within the rule set that they, uh, they haven't really thought out so well yet. Um, that, that's cause I mean, it's not, it's not, that it's not new. It's just, you know, coming from UWW and before that from Fila, um, which is all wrestling. And so, the restart positions, I think they need a little work on. I, um, but other than that, you know, like, uh, so if you go out of bounds, they restart you in open guard. They restart you basically with, like, the guy's uh, got his feet on the ground. He's got his knees up, feet on the ground, hands on his knees, and he's flat back on his shoulders. And the guy on top is, like, has his hands on his knees, kneeling in front of him. Now, anybody worth their salt as soon as that match goes is going to just pop up to their toes and slide past them. You know, that's an easy pass. Like, I think a couple of the restart positions could use some work, but other than that, I'm like, man, this is really interesting. So, you know, I'll go out to the Olympic training center and I'll, you know, I'll get to see that at least. And that'd be cool. Um, and I did that. And, uh, um, I thought, man, like the, 
you know, the minus two or two to the opponent to pull, that's, uh, that sucks. But, um, it's not like I just, you know, I, I don't plan on winning from the bottom anyway. I plan on sweeping or submitting anyway. So, you know, we'll just make that work. Um, and I went out to the trials. I won the trials. That was cool. So I go, oh, okay, cool. I guess I'm going to, where, where, where are they? That was the thing is that, uh, they said, yeah, you know, I think the, I think worlds are, you know, tied into freestyle and Greco worlds in 2019. Like, oh, that'd be cool. Where's that? Oh, it's in Kazakhstan. Dude, Kazakhstan, that'd be sweet because steps people are like the hardest, coolest people on the planet. And so I got to go to Nur Sultan and I got sick when I was over there, the UWW. So then like, uh, long story short, I'll, uh, I'll keep this short, but I went over to Kazakhstan. I got sick. I lost like 20 pounds um, in like the six days that I was over there. That was about the most miserable I've ever been in my life. Um, I was just like, um, I was having terrible diarrhea and realized firsthand just how important a bidet is if you're having terrible diarrhea. Um, my room had a bidet, so it was amazing. Um, and uh, uh, having a hard time. Um, got lost to Ruslan Abdaev, who was in the 2017 ADCC in Nogi. Um, I think I would have played that match a little differently uh, if I had known the rule set better. But man, like, I think one of the things people don't realize is that guys in America, we train the IBJJF rule set every day, right? You know, um, maybe you train the ADCC rule set or you train like a sub only rule set, and that's like what you're looking for. They, Eastern Bloc, uh, people in Europe, they train the UWW rule set year round because they have UWW opens over there. The European championships are at least as hard, if not harder than the world championships because the country can field two representatives instead of one. So you have two Russians in your weight class or two Poland people in each weight class, you know, um, and they train that rule set all the time. So it's hard to, uh, you know, if it's your first time, um, you know, just being kind of, uh, is acclimated to that rule set where you don't have to think about things and you're just, you know, moving through. So I, I lost to Ruslan. He did a good job. He won, uh, won Worlds again. I think that was his eighth Worlds in Noki that he won for UWW. So that sucked. Um, but the guy the guy was a stud, absolute animal. And then I uh, ended up uh, making the finals and won the finals in the Gi. Um, that was sweet. Uh, and then, you know, head to head back. Immediately had to head back to LA because seven days later was uh, was the ADCC in 2019. So that's pretty cool. Um, and like, but the oh, sorry, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself to answer your question. So you know, by the time we went over to Serbia uh, about a month ago now, um, I've been thinking about the the UWW rule set for two years. Trained it a lot, uh, competed under it before. Um, you know, one of the things that's different is that like bottom position is two to your opponent regardless, right? So. My wife, first time over there, she gets a body lock on this girl. She's like dominating on the feet, goes to put her to put the girl down onto her hands. Great. It's going to be two. My wife puts her onto her hands like into to turtle and immediately puts the hooks in. She puts the hooks in and the girl ends up like putting Christina to her back. And then as soon as the girl turns into her, the girl, because the, the position hadn't been solidified, gets two. So my wife didn't get two for the takedown because the 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 movement the the position was still moving she hadn't like held her in turtle and then she ends up underneath the girl and so the girl got two the girl wrote her out two nothing and uh christina got two stalling calls but that's criteria you know two two or sorry it's two two uh, but you know two one point moves versus a two point move and so it's like you know um she'd never competed on the uw rule set you know that's ibjjf for sure you know you put her to quad pod you try to get the turtle you're gonna get the four off that you know um, and, uh, so just like small things like that can really impact it. But the UWW rule set is all about action. The matches are only five minutes. Um, if you break contact on top, it's minus one. That's huge. And no gi and the gi, that's kind of a big deal too. But the guy on the bottom gets a say in the gi, you know, you can keep a hold of your lapel to, to break contact in the gi is very difficult, right? But no gi, uh, and a guy wants to step out of a guard, he can do that with minus one. So that's a very action-oriented rule set. And so, you know, you can reap, but you can't heel hook. In uh, in no gi, you can reap, but you can't heel hook in the gi, which is insane. You know what I mean? Um, I uh, I ended up winning my match in the, I think it was the the semis, against this Russian by being in De La Hiva and, um, like, in... I was heavy in daily heave in the gi and underhooked his leg, which is a no-no in the IBJJF, and then just basically tried to pull his heel all the way across my leg, you know, um, which is, you know, I mean, I'd be DQ in the IBJJF immediately, 
but there was no way I was going to be able to sweep that guy. Otherwise, his base was amazing. He was a good wrestler. He was an animal hammer on top. Um, and, uh, you know, so the rule sets um, is, is different. And it's a lot more fun. It's a lot faster. Um, I mean, there's a – you can – I had some, I, I when I was – in 2019, I was watching matches, getting ready to go over there. I'm like, man, dude, like the level just doesn't look like why doesn't this guy just, you know, sit back? Why doesn't this guy just, you know, pummel out and then like uh, enter the guard again? Because well, I, I know how I know what high level jiu-jitsu looks like. You know, I know what. Uh, at least I hope I do. Um, but not that I'm saying that I perform at it. I'm just saying that I, I I've seen enough to know. Um, but uh, well, you know, come to find out that oh, that's because that'd be a minus one, and you know, there's still three minutes left in the match, and they will you know minus one you quick. You can get three stalls in thirty seconds. You know what I mean? So like, um, that's a. Uh, it's a completely different rule set having to play into a position that, you know, isn't, isn't necessarily advantageous for you, but you just can't step out and reset it because you don't want to give up the stalling call. That's crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like, that's a completely different rule set than anything. Uh, um, I, I had seen before or experienced, but it helps you get ready for the ADCC because the ADCC is all action too. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I was prepping for the UWW, um, over in Serbia and then doing that, uh, took silver in the gi and bronze in the no gi this year. Um, and, uh, uh, hey, trials were right afterwards, you know, it was good. So, um, yeah, yeah. It worked out. That's awesome. You mentioned like the action pack style of it and that like leading into ADCC and really helping you. I think that's cool. I think that's where most no gi tournaments, even if they're not ADCC rules, that's the kind of action that they're looking for. Well, it's like, you know, I think a lot of times people don't realize because, um, you know, it's not so big here, just how high level it is. Like we had Paul Ardilla, who has competed in three ADCCs and is an absolute savage, like a, a freaking hammer, dude. Um, and, I mean, he took bronze. Uh, he, he had a really hard match against a Russian that just, I mean, Paul's wrestling is incredible. And this guy wasn't getting taken down by Paul. And it was a really close match. Luis uh, Quinones, uh, he was there. He was there in 2019 with me. He was there in 2021. Like, had some really tough matches. I mean, you know, it's... I don't think people in the States give it the credit that it's due because I know I didn't. I thought it was bullshit until I went over there and saw, like, the level of how intense it was to everybody else. And all of a sudden, so it made it, you know, and I, I kind of, I, I didn't realize... How, how big a deal it was until I was there. All of a sudden, I was like, holy shit, like, this is huge. Um, you know, I, uh, in 2019, when I was there, the Grappling World Championships were broadcast on the, like, on the, the national Kazakhstani television. And so, like, we're out and about afterwards, and, uh, like, I wasn't sure the, uh, like, I definitely, okay, I also forgot to, uh, pack any clothes other than my Ric Flair shirt and my one pair of pants. <laughs> I wore those shirts, that, that, that shirt and that pair of pants for like nine days. Um, but none of us were in our Team USA gear and we were walking throughout the city and everybody knew who we were, that we were from Team USA. It's not like we were just foreigners. The Freestyle and Greco World Championships are here. Like there's people from all over the world in Nur Sultan at that time. And, you know, because, I mean, like I said earlier, dude, Steps people are a different kind of people. I like they care on a different level about grappling and wrestling and, you know, uh, those activities and sports. And so that level of intensity, you know, and that level of like seriousness over all things fighting without striking, um, is, uh, you know, something that I, I just don't like that. It. It's, it's so in their culture that's just not here in the States. And so, um, I really wish we had more guys that would take it seriously here in the States. I don't think that, you know, USA Grappling does a great job promoting it, um, but it's really hard to, you know, uh, to their credit, it's really hard to do that when you've got the IBJJF who's got tournaments every weekend and, uh, you know, where everybody in the States and in the first world thinks, oh, the IBJJF is, you know, the premier organization if you want to, you know, do, you know, compete at a high level, except for anybody who's in the other two thirds of the world. Um, where the IBJJF will never go to because there's not a single dollar to be made. Doesn't give a fuck about it. Pardon my language. Um, and they're, uh, you know, they're only um, focused on the UWW because that means a ton. And so it's like, yeah, you, you know, you might not be uh, fighting Hodrick Gracie, but you're fighting the best person at your division from Poland and from the Ukraine and from Russia and from Moldova and from Romania. And that's insane because they, like, uh, 
one of my wife's friends that she met uh, from the Italian team, he said that, uh, he uh, said to her, he goes, you USA grappling big, how big your trials? And she's like, oh, you know, they were, they were pretty small, you know, um, you know, my husband got an invite slot uh, because they didn't have enough guys. Um, and so they just invited me, oh, you know, returning gold medalist, uh, you know, John. And like, I got really lucky in that regard um, because Nogi Worlds was at the same time and I couldn't be in two places at once. And uh, um, he's like, that's, that's crazy. Trials in Italy, largest tournament in Italy. And, uh, and he's like, she's like, really? Because Italy's a first world country. Western Europe, you know, and he's like, yes, yes, you know, biggest, biggest tournament in country, huge, and uh, just couldn't believe that, like, trial's not, not big here in the States, um, it's huge to, you know, the countries who field the team, and uh, so I, I just think that's one of those things that people lose over here, because, I mean, like, you're only, I mean, like, if you could pick up Gracie Mag, or if you watch Flow Grappling, you're only uh, taking in, like, the super fights, and the who's number one, and the fight to win, and all the guy and those guys who are on those shows, and the guys who are having a lot of success, or EBI in the IBJJF or in EBI, and it's like that's like uh, you know, I mean, you're you're only focused on what's going on in your country and not realizing that man, there's a whole world of hammers out there, and they just want to make you a nail too. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully, those videos from those matches get out more, and people start catching on to that rule set and training it more i think that'll that'll help the popularity of it too but it's really cool to see that you were able to have success in that rule set and that transferred and translated over to the adcc rule set which people are a lot more familiar with so it's cool to see that that crossover there yeah and that's a, that's the thing it's like i think the adcc rule set is probably the best rule set um but the, i think the biggest problem with it is is that like it is so ungodly hard to score um i say that because like i mean shoot how many matches do you see at the adcc where it, you, you, the match is won by a negative, not because the scrambling wasn't going on the entire time, but because it's just that hard to score. You got to have three quarters of a guy's body pinned down for three seconds, like to score the t to score the takedown or to score the pass. That's insane. Like at a high level, like who in the world's going to let their body three quarters of body be pinned for three seconds? It just shit doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's just wild. So I think like you know, I'm, there's just no complaints here. That's I think it's the best rule set because. Um, because that rule set creates action at the same time it's insanely difficult to score points in that rule set um and so i think sometimes that's like uh i i know like when i like 2019 when i when i did the adcc i had guys uh um i say guys i had you know guys that were in the school training who had been training for a couple of years done some IBJJFs, never really watched the adcc before or really weren't watching it that intently we're, we're like man how in the world, what does it take to actually get a score? And it's like that the criteria is just various, very acute and very specific, um, but a very high level. You know what I mean? And there's no advantages. So, like, to get three points, you dominated the f out of that person to get three points because that wasn't easy. You know, that pass was hard. To take somebody down, you have to take them down to their hip. You can't take them down to turtle. If they turtle for three seconds off a takedown and then sit to their butt, it's no points. So it's constant action. You put the guy on his hands. You're trying to basically turn him like you are in freestyle wrestling to keep him down so that you can get your points. Otherwise, all that works for nothing. And so I think like that's why it's the best rule set because it forces the action. Because you have to go with that far to that level of dominance in the middle of a uh, in one like continuous level of, of, of motion or you get nothing. So then you, you wasted all that energy for nothing. You know what I mean? And then if, but there's, but then if you're like, I'm not going to waste that energy, I'll just kind of like hang back. Okay, cool. Minus one, minus one, minus one, minus one. You know, there's no, you're not going to get stalled out and uh, DQ'd like you are in the IBJJF, but you're going to get 10 stalling calls, you know? And like, then you're going to have to do something and you just lose. So yeah, that's why I think it's such a good rule set. Yeah. You have to be so strategic with your approach and you have to always be pressing forward. Yeah. Like that's why I think, I don't know of any other, I mean, I've, Watched a lot of ADCC. I was watching it since I mean, it was since like 2005. I, I uh, um, I, I, I yeah, that's since 2005, and uh, I don't remember anybody ever making it to the finals in any division without scoring a single point. But Nicky Rod did because that guy just hustled everybody. Which means not only did he make it to the finals without scoring a point, he made it through three overtimes to get to the finals. You know, because it's zero zero at the end. Cool. We're going to overtime. That happened three times for Nikki to get to the finals. Like I think he was the MVP, even though he wasn't he didn't win 
uh, the division and Gordon won, you know, weight and absolute. I think the MVP was Nikki because Nikki went through three matches, went three overtimes, went all the way to the finals by outworking everybody with aggression because he didn't score a single point. So he couldn't rest ever. I think like, I might have two more examples. I could be wrong. They may have scored, but I think Claudio Colasans, when he won the absolute, may not have scored or at least scored very minimally. And I think Orlando Sanchez as well. Huh. Okay. Well, then, you know, I'll, have to I'll, I'll back check back on those. I might be wrong. They yeah. may have scored some points, but I know they didn't score like a lot of points or get any yeah. submissions. Yeah. Yeah. But you're I, right. Uh, I mean, that's crazy to go that whole time to fight so hard and to win by those minimal scores. Like, you have to have, like, obviously a really good strategy to be able to overcome guys of that level by such a slim margin. Totally. Or, like, and, and then, I mean, especially like the amount of time he spent in the sport, you know, like, he was a blue belt, purple belt. I don't think it matters. He's, you know, an incredible athlete. But, like, yeah. there's just so many situations and exchanges that you're just not going to be able to, like, tell. You know, like, that's not going to be obvious in the back of your head, like, in your subconscious to be like, oh, cool. You know, I need to sit my hip out here and whatnot, except for the fact that, you know, he's pushing such a pace and he's got such a, like, a level of wrestling that he could translate it into, you know, the sport of, uh, of grappling um, or submission wrestling. Um yeah, it's, it's incredible. That's why I think that, like, that guy was my uh, MVP of 2019 for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, he did amazing. Yeah, he really killed it. So <laughs> and it's rare that you see a guy from the trials that wins the trials and then goes on and just stomp at the ADCC. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Usually it's the guys who got the invites, who've been there before, who've medaled in the previous one. You know, those are the guys to beat. But then, like, I mean, shoot, he had beat Ali, and that was, I think, that was fan match of the year. Like, for me, match of the year was uh, – was Fionn Davies and Beatrice Mosquito. I love yeah. that. That yeah. was incredible. But then, like, uh, you know, Nikki Rod and Muhammad, that was by far one of the, I mean, that was like two spark plugs, you know, going yeah. the whole time. That was fireworks like like crazy. And then to do to Orlando what Orlando does to everybody and just bully the, the heck out of them, yeah, that was pretty amazing. And then... The match with Cyborg was a freaking battle, man. But it was exactly what we were talking about. No points were ever had. No sweep was ever had long enough and controlled to actually be able to uh, consolidate and actually get the score. Like, so you go to overtime. It's like, what? Uh, yeah, three incredible fights. You know, against two world champions. Yeah, <laughs> like, really tough Christmas. Yeah. You know, you, you can't ask for a harder run to the finals. That was insane. Yeah, that was incredible. So obviously you have the 2022 ADCC World Championships coming up with your that you're gonna uh, compete in because you won the trials. And so what else do you have coming up in preparation for that in terms of competition? Uh, I think I'm doing something with Heath uh, in February in London. Uh, I think it's for the uh, Grapple um, Fest. Yeah, for the Grapple Fest. I think I'm doing that. Um, other, so that'll be cool. Um, and then other than that, uh, I know we're gonna there gonna be i think they're talking about like doing adc opens next year mm -hmm. um and so i'm probably gonna do those uh i really don't have uh i don't have an interest in um doing i mean like it will be nogi worlds will be next year in like november or december probably i don't think they're gonna do the whole nogi worlds uh or nogi being the beginning front loader at the beginning of the year like they usually do i think they'll do it just like they i think it'll go back to their old schedule so maybe i'll do nogi worlds next year um but, you know, I don't really have an interest in doing anything with the IBJJF um, until after the ABCC. So, like, probably do some of the Opens. Um, and, you know, like, I'll do that, that Grapple Fest. That'd be fun. Um, and then other than that, uh, downside is that, like, UWW next year is either – it's either – so it's going to be – it's going to be back in Serbia. And it's going to be attached to, from the way it sounds, uh, Freestyle and Greco Worlds again, which would be freaking sweet. Um, but like I remember last time I was warming up on the mat, uh, with, uh, Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Snyder and Kyle wow. Snyder was like, at, like sitting on the bench with him and he's like, okay, what are you, what is this? What are you guys doing? <laughs> I was like, oh dude, and I explained it to him and it was just so cool. Like that was, I mean, that was a level of neat, like nothing I'd ever experienced. Um, and then I went to the ADCC the following week and like, you know, got like, kicking the chest again so that was really cool um but like so I, I definitely want to be a part of that but it's either it's either the day after like because it'll either be tacked on the front end or the back end of uww so it'll either be mm -hmm. eight days before the adcc and in all honesty like 
man, no excuses. I was so blessed and had, you know, I, I, I'm really proud of the performance I had in 2019, but, um, I definitely don't think it's good to add international travel on top of like competing at a world championship to another world championship. Like I think it was seven or six days apart. Um, like I did in 2019. I'm not doing that again. So it's either eight days before, which means it's just too close, or it's the day after. Like, um, it's because yeah. either the Monday and Tuesday, and like ADCC gets done on a Sunday. So it's either like, oh, okay, cool, done on a Sunday, like no ADCC after fight party, literally getting on a PJ or something and flying to Serbia, or like probably not doing it. So, like, that kind of stinks. I really wanted to yeah. do that. Um, but I have had a, man, I'm going round and round with my wife on this, uh, like, Hey, if you can make the trial, if you make the team next year, you know, um, I promise you they're probably going to be recording the ADCC on flow. So you can watch my matches afterwards, but like, you know, um, you got to go and you have to do UWW unless you make the ADCC West coast trials, in which case, you know, UWW can wait a year. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I think this is probably going to be the coolest ADCC ever. Um, so, but like, you know, uh, you know, I'm going back and she's like, well, no, I wouldn't want to go. If, you know, you're competing in the ADCC, I want to watch you. That's dumb. You can watch me later. You can watch me <laughs> then, you know, in another country. Um, I'm pretty sure that like flow is in Serbia and if flow is not in Serbia, we have a VPN. So you can watch, you know, me wherever, but if not like, uh, yeah, you can't like give up on that just to, you know, to watch me at the ADCC. That's dumb. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of going back and forth with her on that and trying to convince her that, hey, you win the trials, you go over there, you do that. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, so I don't think I'm doing the WW next year. But, you know, if I if there's if there's something cool that comes up, maybe I'll do that. But um, I'm really focused on uh, uh, just continuing to refine the things that I'm doing for, for the ADCC. And uh, it's like I said, if, I, if there's some cool stuff that comes up, I'll do that. I'll do some ADCC opens. Um, I think those are going to be really neat. And I think that, like, it bothers me a lot that, like, we don't have them just because um, the IWJF is so prominent. Like, you know, they have ADCC opens throughout all of, like, Eastern Europe, and they're all high level, and they're good. And, uh, you know, people are really in tune with that rule set over there. Um, I wish they had UWW opens over here, um, like, or USA Grappling opens. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, they've talked about those for next year, so that'd be kind of cool. Um I, and like ADCC opens, so you know, probably do some of those, but uh, yeah, that'll probably be it. Nice. Well, awesome. Thank you very much for, for taking the time to talk to me today. I think you're going to do really great at ADCC. It's cool that you're competing in these different rule sets and you know, just showing everyone around the world who's watching and paying attention to UWW who may not be paying attention to the American grappling scene, like how good our grapplers are here. So it's really cool that you're representing us and you're having so much success. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any, any uh, sponsors or any friends or anyone you just want to sh- thank or shout out? Oh, shoot. Yeah, I would definitely. Uh, well, uh, King's Kimono has been sponsoring me since 2018, so I definitely shout that out because they're, they're amazing. And they've uh, they, they taken really good care of me over the years. Um other than that, I would uh, I just shout out my training partners. Obviously, my, my mom, my dad, my brother. Um, then, like, uh, uh, Brian Donahoe and Joe Bodler and Jason Brills. Uh, were it not for those guys, I uh, I would – I wouldn't – I mean, they, they, they come in and they train every day and sometimes twice a day. And, uh, and, like, when they're really beat up. In 2019, I'm pretty sure the training camp that we put on – for the ADCC aged them significantly. So, um, I, they were there all the time and they were, uh, not recovering at the rate that I was. And so like, that was a rough time for all the guys that trained with me then and the guys that have been training with me since. So I'm really, uh, I'm really blessed and fortunate to have so many good guys on the team that have been helping me out in that regard. Um, it's a, uh, one of my students, uh, and a good friend of mine ended up uh, taking a job at another gym, Ryan Yamada. He's a hammer. Uh, he's uh, he's doing great. He's been helping me out a lot too. And uh, taking him to the gym in, in town. Um, uh, Charles and Christy Lane, Big Josh. Uh, yeah, I, I'm obviously my wife, who is just an absolute hammer, an amazing person. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have any, any anything without her. Um, my boss Dan Clark and uh, my partner Dalton. If it wasn't for the two of them, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have the time to do this or the opportunity to do what I do. I'm really fortunate about that because I think a lot of people don't realize that you know. If you've got like, if you've got a job you love and you got like, you know, a boss you look up to, man, you can work your butt off every day and never feel fatigued. 
but you know, and then and I I got that, and then you know, and they they want me to be able to make the most of what I'm doing. So like, it, it's just I am uniquely blessed in that regard. I think so. I uh, you know, that's not lost on me at all. But um, yeah, I, I, my uh, wrestling coach, Coach Massey, he's been coaching me since I was sure really young, and uh, you know, we reconnected after the ADCC in 2019. I started a uh, you know, wrestling uh, on and off again with them as much as my, our schedules would allow. And uh, um, I still have yet to get any better, though I have gotten a couple of takes downs this year, which is uh, <laughs> which is like infinitely more than the zero takedowns I had gotten up until that point. So that's been kind of cool. Um, and that's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Coach Massey as well. And um, yeah, I'm really I'm really blessed, man. I got I got a lot of got a lot of good things going for me. And I don't think that uh, um, I, I, I I know I wouldn't be having the level of success I'm having without any of those, if one of those people wasn't there. So it's really cool, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we wish you all the success. We definitely think you're, like I said, going to do great at the 2022 World Championships for ADCC, and it's going to be fun watching all the tournaments you compete in up to that point. So thanks, everyone, for listening. This was episode, I believe, 114 or 115. I'm kind of losing track. I've recorded a lot of episodes recently. But thanks for listening, and we will see all you guys soon. Take care.